You can keep Psalm 29 open as we uh, study it together this evening. And we're simply considering it under the title, The Voice of the Lord. The Voice of the Lord, a sentence that we hear repeated a few times in this psalm. Imagine yourself standing on the shores of a beach with a vast ocean in front of you. But you're not standing on Portrush, East Strand or Tyrella in Newcastle. You're standing on the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. And so there is, as you look out over the the sea, there is no land as far as you can see, all the way to the horizon and far beyond. And it's not a bright sunny day at the seaside. The sea looks terrifying. You see clouds thicker and darker than any you've ever seen. You begin to feel a wind blowing and an unusually warm, uh, threatening wind. As you look out to the sea, you you hear the thunder begin. You see forks of lightning appear. A mighty storm is coming and it is coming right towards you. That's the picture we have in Psalm 29. King David imagines in this psalm an almighty storm. Uh, Some of us will remember Hurricane Katrina in 2005 or the storms and earthquakes that rocked the island of Haiti in 2010 and There have been similar calamitous weather events ever since. But David's using the the picture of a dreadful storm here to describe something even more powerful. He's teaching us about the thunderous, powerful voice of God. Psalm 28 was a psalm, it's a few weeks ago since we looked at it, but it was a psalm in which David says that God seems to be silent for a time. For whatever reason, David felt like he he hadn't been hearing God's voice. He wasn't enjoying fellowship with God like once he did. Well, in Psalm 29, God is silent no more. God's voice is mentioned seven times in Psalm 29. It's a psalm telling us that no matter how we sometimes feel, and no matter how things may seem, the God of the Bible, the God of history is not a silent God. He's a God whose voice can be clearly heard whose voice is powerful, whose voice can change your life. So I want to think, first of all, as we look at this psalm this evening, about the power of God's voice, the power of God's voice. We'll come back to verses 1 and 2 a little bit later, but I want to begin by looking at the main section of the psalm, which is verses 3 to 9. And in verses 3 to 9, this is where David mentions God's voice seven times. And a few things to notice as David gives us this picture of a storm to describe God's voice. First of all, we notice that this storm, and again, symbolizing the voice of God, it impacts everywhere. It impacts everywhere. In recent years, the weather forecasters or whoever it is, they've they've taken to naming our storms in Northern Ireland and although that perhaps makes them sound a bit scarier, and although sometimes they do, uh, they do cause some damage, they are nowhere near as powerful as storms in other parts of the world. And so Storm Betty rolls in and you think, well, there's a few more leaves on the ground today than there were yesterday. But it's really not that exciting. But in David's day, uh, the Mediterranean Sea uh, could produce incredible storms. The Mediterranean Sea was one of the borders of the Promised Land. It acted as the western border and still is to this day of political national Israel. And the Israelites called the Mediterranean Sea the Great Sea. And the Great Sea was a threat. 
as you looked out over it, it was like looking out at the edge of the world. You think of a time long before uh, easily getting on a boat or flying on a plane. Uh, this vast, vast sea of water. And the, you may as well have been looking at the edge of the world for an Israelite in those days. The people of Israel didn't go exploring across that sea for the most part. They stayed on land. Most people feared the sea. It was chaotic. It was seen as a dangerous place. And as we thought about a few weeks ago in Jonah, in many ways it symbolized death. Storms often came in over the land from the sea. And that's where David starts in this psalm. If you look at verse 3. The voice of the Lord <coughs> is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. <clears throat> so the storm starts over the waters. It starts at sea. But look at verse 5. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Lebanon is the land immediately to the north of the land of Israel. That's where David's storm makes landfall having started out at sea. Where does it go next? If you look at verse 8. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The wilderness of Kadesh is to the south of Israel. Down towards the border with Egypt. So the storm has moved in over the north. It has moved all the way down to the south. Sweeping its way through. And now it's all the way out in the desert. In the wilderness. And David repeatedly says the voice of the Lord is in this storm. He says God is speaking in this storm and everywhere, everyone is impacted from the far out sea to the north to Israel to the south. There is no escaping the voice of the Lord. It impacts everywhere. <coughs> Another thing to notice about the power of God's voice is that it is in control of the chaos God's voice is so powerful that it is in control of the chaos. The Israelites, of course, weren't the only people living in that part of the world. I've mentioned Lebanon, Kadesh, other nations round about them, the Philistines, the Moabites and others. And David, of course, spent most of his life, King David, spent most of his life fighting these various pagan nations who at one time or another posed a threat to Israel. And all these other nations had their own gods. None of them had just one God. As I've said to you many times as we study the Bible, that was unheard of in the ancient world that a nation would have just one God. They tended to worship multiple gods and goddesses. And one of the most popular was Baal or Baal, depending on what pronunciation you prefer. Most of us grew up with Baal, so we'll stick with that. But Baal, according to many people, was the weather god. He was in charge of the storms. And researchers have even uncovered uh, symbols or sort of drawings of Baal holding lightning bolts in his hand, which were also symbols of warfare. And it's interesting just how times change and things, the same sort of thing comes up over and over again. Uh, in our day, people are probably more familiar with the Norse god Thor, who holds thunderbolts, partly because he has his own series of superhero movies now. But this was their version of Thor, Baal holding a thunderbolt. But the point is, nobody else thought that just one God was all-powerful. You had your God for this, and you had your God for that. Different kinds of gods for different kinds of jobs. In many ways, that reflected the typical view of the natural world in David's time. 
It's a swirl of chaos. Maybe there's a God who's powerful in the area of the weather. And another God who's powerful in causing the crops to grow. Another God who would bring fertility to man and beast. But you need all these different gods. And none is better than the other. And none is really listening when you cry out to them. And we're just living in a bit of a swirl of chaos. But what does David say? The voice of the Lord is over the waters. In other words, it's in control of the waters. That big scary sea out there that hardly anybody dared venture out on. God's in control of it. There's an echo here too, isn't there, of Genesis chapter 1. How the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And there was this swirl of chaos. There was darkness and nothingness. And then God spoke. And everything that is came into being. And so David here in this psalm is saying that this idea that there's multiple gods and some of them might be in charge of this and some of them might be in charge of that, it's nonsense. David is doing the same thing in this psalm that Elijah did at Mount Carmel. He is mocking the idea of some puny little god like Baal. And he's saying it's Yahweh, it's the Lord who's in control. So the powerful voice of God, it impacts everywhere. It's in control of the chaos and It's also, it shakes the strongholds. (coughs) It shakes the strongholds. This storm is so powerful that what seems unshakable is utterly destroyed. If you look at verse 5. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. To this day, the cedar trees of Lebanon are some of the most impressive trees in the world. They can grow to 40 meters tall. Their trunks have a diameter of two and a half meters. Gigantic trees. The national flag of Lebanon actually has a cedar tree on it. But David says the voice of the Lord in this storm snaps a cedar tree. As easily as you or I would snap a toothpick, says one preacher. So powerful is the voice of God. It shakes the strongholds. The things that We would look to for refuge and say we'll be safe there. Nothing can touch us there. God shakes the strongholds. Look at verse 6. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Syrian there is another name for Mount Hermon, which is a mountain over 9,000 feet tall. It's impressive. It's seemingly immovable. But what does David say? The voice of the Lord can make this great mountain skip. With fear, the way a little deer would skip away from a predator. The voice of the Lord can move the biggest mountains. He says in verses 7 and 8 that the voice of the Lord is like flames of fire that shakes and burns up the vast deserts of Kadesh. What we have here, friends, is an overwhelming sense of the power (coughs) of God's voice, says the preacher whose voice is weak tonight. But God's voice is the opposite. It's powerful. It impacts everywhere. It's in control of the chaos. (coughs) Psalm 28, the psalmist wondered, is God silent? And the reply comes in Psalm 29, no, he's not silent. His voice thunders. It's in control of all things. And so friends, David here is telling us that every storm in our world whether it's Hurricane Katrina or Storm Betty in Northern Ireland, 
Every storm is a reminder that God is speaking to us. And of course, that's not just the, the case for the, the weather storms. He speaks in the storms that shake whatever strongholds we might turn to, the modern day cedars of Lebanon. <coughs> the things we might never expect to be moved or changed, which all of a sudden are shaken and cause strife. National economic or political crises, unrest in society, global pandemics, financial downturns. We've seen this in the book of Revelation, friends, but these are all means by which God speaks. And his voice is brought to bear upon our world. Our world is not in chaos from God's perspective. It's all under his control And God speaks also in our personal storms. Whether it's parenting problems, money problems, big decisions, conviction of sin. Circumstances that we never saw coming and never would have chosen. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. He will speak. You remember how he hurled the storm at Jonah to get Jonah's attention. And at times, friends, it may be that he ordains and permits a storm upon us to get our attention. The question is, are we listening to him? I mentioned earlier how in King David's world, different people turn to all kinds of different gods. You think of that pathetic little Baal figure holding a lightning bolt in his hand. And we might think that sounds silly, but some of us do the exact same things today. We have those puny figures that we turn to. For some people, it really is the superheroes in the movies. And they just can't wait to go and watch the next movie or get all caught up in those stories. It's good to enjoy a movie. I, I enjoy many of the movie. But if we're living just for entertainment, if, if we're living for escapism and music or film, and that's all we have, that's a puny little God whose voice is... Is, is dumb. People turn to the voices of social media. And we just tap and swipe and like and follow. Until we find something interesting or significant. To divert us away from the storms of life. We, will, we, we are tempted to fill our lives and fill our ears with all different voices. Of course it's often been said that perhaps the voice we listen to most. Is the voice of, our, of ourself. Of ourselves. That little voice directing us and prompting us. Is that voice informed by God's word? Is that voice directing us back to God's word? Or are we just going our own way and listening to all the shrill, silly voices of the world? Whose voice do you listen to the most? And who do you turn to when storms set in? Where do we hear God's voice most clearly today? Well, primarily, of course, we hear it in his word. Once you've heard that voice, there is no escaping it. Paul says in Romans that some people try to suppress the truth. But there is no escaping the voice of God. Again, we saw that with Jonah. (coughs) Who did try and head out across the Mediterranean Sea. In Jonah chapter 1 verse 4 says, The Lord hurled a great storm, stopped him in his tracks. Does it take a storm to get us to listen to the voice of God? The voice of the God who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. 
The voice of God who says that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. That he has set aside the guilt of our sin and nailed it to the cross. Do we remember that voice when we're tempted to just be overcome with guilt? Or or we think that God won't listen to us? Or we think God has nothing more to do with us? No, he has set aside your guilt and nailed it to the cross. We should pray that those who have heard the voice of God in this past week, whether they were there in person or listening online, would not ignore that voice before the storm set in in their lives. The power of God's voice. Secondly, let's consider then our response to God's voice. Our response to God's voice. As I've just said, we should respond by listening to God's voice, particularly in his word. But there's another response to God's voice that David describes in this psalm. And that's the response of worship. Of worship. Notice in Psalm 29 how David summons heaven and earth to worship God. Look at verse 1. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Uh, when he, he uses that word ascribe three times in verses 1 and 2. What he's saying is, declare the glory of God. You've heard him speak, now you speak to him. Praise him. Acknowledge him, a God of righteousness and power and honour and strength and majesty. Give him the glory that he is due. The God who has spoken to us and blessed us and been gracious and merciful to us. Give him the praise that he deserves. I was somewhat, uh, what's the word, bemused this week to learn that in one university in America, you can now take a degree in the studies of Harry Styles. So for any Harry Styles fans, if you want to move to Texas, you can do a whole degree in Harry Styles and his influence on social media and various other areas of life. I really don't know very much about Harry Styles, except that he's a singer and he and I have very different fashion tastes. But some people think that he is so worthwhile to know about and listen to that you can take a degree in his life. And some of us might look on and think that is totally bizarre. But it speaks to us about the impact that he has had on society for better or worse. And it speaks to the attention that people like to give him. The the praise that people think that he is due. And the same goes for footballers who are never out of the headlines. Or social media influencers that have millions of followers. Whether we agree or not, people find them worthy of attention. And of adulation. And of ascriptions of praise. David says here that not just a few people on earth, but all the heavenly angels, innumerable heavenly beings, he says, ascribe to the Lord, give to God the praise, the glory for all that he has done. For it far outweighs the achievements or the impact of a singer or an athlete or an influencer. He is worthy of more praise. He is worthy of more interest and study and love. And obedience than anyone else. The Bible makes very clear. Especially in books like Isaiah and Revelation. That today in heaven the angels are doing nothing but worshipping God. They are ascribing glory to God. And so when we come together for worship. We are doing a heavenly thing. And we are doing what the angels are doing. And what the saints glorified are doing. 
And that's why David also calls on the people of the earth to give praise and glory to God. If you look at the last line of verse 9, he says, In his temple all cry glory. So we need to notice the progression of the psalm. David describes the worship of God in heaven, the worship that the angels are giving to God. And then he describes this great storm which we've been thinking about in verses 3 to 9. And then he finishes in verse 9, back down on the earth, where he is telling all God's people to gather and to worship him. In the temple, he says, all cry glory. The word glory really means significance, power, weightiness. If someone or something is glorious, you you can't ignore them. Your eye is drawn to them. They attract the attention and excitement of everyone around them. A hurricane is terrifying and destructive. But in a sense, it's also glorious. All that power on display. I've told you before, I think about my experience of going to the the bottom of Niagara Falls and one of those little boats that they take you there. And you see the, that water tumbling down, tons and tons of it. And you think, you know, if you ended up down there at the bottom under that water, you'd be obliterated in seconds. Sheer power of it coming down upon you. And we look at those sights and we gaze at them and we take them in. David says God's people ought to be gazing upon him. Gazing upon his glory. Listening to his voice. Giving him praise. We don't need a physical building to gather in to do this. We don't need a temple like what there was in the days of Solomon. But friends, the New Testament describes every Christian (coughs) as a living temple. Another word for temple is dwelling place. Somewhere where God resides, where God dwells. And if you're a Christian, God the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And that means that you're a vessel of praise. You're to be lifting up your voice in worship of him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That means that the Holy Spirit has commandeered your body and your soul and your mind. So that you would be a worshipper of God. And that's what the Christian life is. It's an act of worship over and over again. It's an act of Daily recognizing our God and our King and our Savior and giving attention to his voice. And in response, offering our lives, as Paul says, as living sacrifices. Gazing upon his glory, offering ourselves into his service. As we hear the voice of God thundering in our lives through circumstances and providences and especially in the scriptures. God should hear our voices worshiping him for his love, his patience, his mercy. His willingness to forgive us in Christ. His plans to give us a home in heaven. His protecting and providing for us each day. Is your heart inclined to that friends? Do you take time personally to do that each day? Do you take time with your families to do that each day? David says in the temple. Give God the glory. And if you're not interested in giving glory to God. Enjoying God. Worshipping God. What makes you think you're headed for heaven when you die? Because heaven is a place for people who want to worship God. And if you're a Christian, is this the purpose of your life, in your work, in your marriage, in your witness to glorify God?
If you're one of God's children through faith in Jesus Christ, here is our response to God's voice, to lift up our voices in praise of his name, to offer our lives as living sacrifices in his service. So we thought about the power of God's voice and our response to God's voice. And thirdly and finally, the grace of God's voice. The grace in God's voice. Look at verse 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. Again, God is in control of the chaos. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Notice the confidence of David, friends. God is on his throne. Isn't that good news? No matter what we might be facing tomorrow, to know that God is on his throne. It says he's enthroned over the flood. The word for flood there is the same word used for the flood in Noah's day. And it's actually a word that isn't used anywhere else in the Bible except there in Genesis and here in Psalm 29. It emphasizes the uniqueness of that flood in Noah's day. And David says that even something like Noah's, something as cataclysmic as Noah's flood, God is in control. His voice has authority over it. Charles Spurgeon says in verse 10, Jesus has the government upon his shoulders eternally. Our interests in the most stormy times are safe in his hands. What incredible comfort to know that the thunderous voice of God is in complete control. Even in what at times to us might seem like a flood of problems. A flood of worries, a flood of jobs that need done, a flood of stress coming our way. God's enthroned. Ask him for help, friends, when those floods of difficulty come. And then look at verse 11. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. May the Lord give strength to his people. God is all powerful and he puts that power at our disposal, friends. When we're weak, he is strong. When we're spent, he's still fresh. When we're exhausted, he is unchanged. And he says, may the Lord bless his people with peace. I think I mentioned this on Friday at our psalm saying, peace in the Bible is not just the absence of conflict which we're thankful for to a large degree in Northern Ireland after what has gone on in the past. But in the Bible, peace is more than that. In the Bible, peace is everything as it should be. Yes, we don't live with the conflict that there used to be in this land, but there's, there's underlying unrest of one kind or another in our society, as there is in every society. Hot spots of crime or unrest or, or difficulty or anxiety, whatever it may be. In the Bible, peace means none of that. All of that gone. And creation and God and his people, everything right. Relationships as they should be between creator and creation. How is that possible? Well, remember what the angels announced at the birth of Jesus. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Among the peace for those with whom he is pleased. <coughs> the thunderous voice of God is not a voice that we need to try to hide from or want, run away from as Jonah did. Because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, the voice of God is a voice that offers us peace. Paul says in Romans 5 1, 
Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're trusting in Christ for salvation, for forgiveness of sin, then the voice of the God whose voice can split the cedars and shake the earth, the the God whose voice can send out the most thunderous storms, the God who sits enthroned over the floods, he's not just your king, And he's not your foe, he's your friend. You're not at war with him, you have peace with him. You know people sometimes say, I just want some peace. And actually they mean more than just wanting the kids to be quiet or wanting work to be less busy or wanting prices to come down. What they actually want is peace for their souls. We would know with assurance that our sin is forgiven, that We would know with assurance we have nothing to fear from death. That we would know with assurance that our lives have meaning. Well, if you're a Christian, that's what you have through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. You have peace. You don't need to say, give my head peace. God has given peace to your heart. And if you're a Christian, you have the promise of eternal peace. Even beyond death itself. Do you have assurance of peace this evening? Do you have this absolute assurance of forgiveness of sin? Are you at peace with God? Or are you an enemy of God? The Bible tells us that there is one great storm still to come. It will make Hurricane Katrina look like a splash in a puddle. The voice of the Lord is going to thunder one day and all the world will hear it and no one will be able to ignore it anymore He will split the heavens and shake the earth and Jesus will return and he will declare a final judgment on this world and everyone in it. Those who listen to his voice as they heard it proclaimed in the scriptures will enjoy peace with him forever. Those who tried to ignore his voice who refused to worship him will be cut off from his gracious presence forever. And they will suffer the storm of God's wrath for their sins forever. Psalm 29 is a comfort if you're a believer. God speaks peace to you. But perhaps tonight it's a warning to you. That if today you hear the thunderous voice of God. You must not harden your heart. Amen.